Cape Talk. Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Good afternoon, Rebecca. John, I have a rapid fire question. <laughs> okay. It relates to what we're going to discuss. What is an epistocracy? An epistocracy is rule by knowledge. Very good. And what would you say is the difference between epistocracy and technocracy? Well, technology has nothing to do with knowledge <laughs> for a start. Um, I, I don't know what would be... Well, you're right. Epistocracy is the rule of the knowers, people mm. who know, and technocracy is the rule of the skilled. So those who ah, have yeah, hard... Okay. Yeah, interesting distinction. Hard yeah. skills, yes. I'm bringing this up because of... Uh, a call that has been made to President Cyril Ramaphosa, as you may have seen, by some high-profile figures in the country's arts and craft and heritage sector, saying, we've had enough of your dud arts and culture ministers. Please will you we've give us... We've had enough of your dud everything <laughs> minister except one or two. Please will you give us an arts and culture minister who actually knows about art, to wit, somebody from civil society to be the arts and culture ministers. They want... President Ramaphosa, should he be president after the elections, to appoint someone who is entirely non-political in that portfolio. What is your, your take on that? Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure that you need... It's helpful if you have skills in the portfolio of which you are the minister. Mm. Um, Aaron Motswaledi is a doctor and he's in the health portfolio, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily the case that it has to be you need a competent manager mm. you need somebody who can set policy direction in consultation with the technocrats mm. so i think if you can have somebody who combines technical knowledge of a portfolio with those other gifts then it's an ideal situation yeah and i think perhaps it becomes more severe when the director general of the department who's supposed to be the top technocrat if that person also lacks knowledge in that portfolio, then you have a problem. And that's what people say is the case with the Department of Arts and Culture. That's Sibusiso Prasa, who is the DG of Arts and Culture, also went into the portfolio without arts knowledge. But it is an interesting question, John, because, and I didn't realize this actually until I was researching it. According to the Constitution, the president is permitted to, to appoint no more than two cabinet ministers entirely from beyond the ranks of politicians, so from beyond the National Assembly. Now, we have had this a number of times, right? Yep. For instance, Tito Mboweni, our finance minister, he wasn't an MP, he, but he was a member of the ANC's NEC. Praveen Gordon also was not an MP when he was appointed finance minister, but he was a long-standing ANC member. So the only example in the last 25 Derek years... Derek Keyes would be the only... Derek Keyes was the first, although that's not within the last 25 years. 1994, Chris Liebenberg. Berg, of course, yeah, when he was... President member. Mandela appointed Chris Liebenberg as a finance minister straight out of the private sector. He had no political affiliations. That is the only case where somebody in South Africa has been made a cabinet minister without being uh, aligned with any political party. And it got me wondering, because I suspect there are many people in South Africa who would say, please, I'm begging you, bring as many non-politicians into the cabinet as possible because we're so tired of the incompetence of the factional battles, etc. But, you know, as intuitively appealing as it sounds, it, it doesn't seem to work out that well. And probably the best two examples in modern history are Greece and Italy. 2011, both of them appointed cabinets and leaders who were technocrats. So highly skilled economists, engineers, people from the private sector who were not politicians who were tasked with fixing the Hugandas messes in those countries at the time, right? Mm. So the advantages of getting non-politicians into political roles are fairly obvious. First of all, they're not prone to 
factional battles. That's the idea. They can, they, um, their appointments are usually greeted positively by, for instance, international markets because, you know, they're neutral figures who have skills, hard skills in their field. And they can also implement unpopular policies because they're not there for a long time. They're there for a effective time. But, 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 the problem with, with let's say we appointed someone as Arts and Cultures Minister. Mike van Fran. Who was, okay, right. So somebody who has experience in activism but is also an artist. Obviously, they're going to want to push policies which favor their own interests as much as po- possible, which is what the minister in a portfolio should do. Arts and culture might be benign, but it becomes slightly more serious if you look at something like finance, a ministry like finance, etc. If you have someone from the private sector going in, for instance, presumably they are, they are going to implement more market-friendly policies because they know what has benefited them in the past. So the idea of having a political figure is that at least they would have a, a sort of a wider picture of what is needed in terms of the political vision rather than yeah. just expertise in that one area. But the main problem, John, is that they have no legitimacy and they get voted out immediately. This is always what happens. Greece, Italy, the voters get disenchanted. They say, actually, we didn't vote for you. This isn't really democracy. You're out. And what's happened in countries like Italy, for instance, is actually can be very bad, like a, a, a wave of, of nationalism, of right wing, because, you know, these experts are taken to not be ref- reflecting the will of the people at all. So it really is a double edged sword. From epi- epistocracy to technocracy to technology, why is very it good. such a seismic development that Instagram is hiding likes? Instagram is experimenting with hiding likes from people's news feeds in order to compensate for the crippling self esteem. <laughs> Debt that many people fall into. What they put something Instagram. out there, nobody likes Correct. it, and then, and then you their see. therapy bills go up. Absolutely right. That you fall into the <laughs> slough of despond because nobody likes you, nobody likes your content. And to combat this, Instagram is saying, "Well, why don't we hide this so you you can still see who likes it, but you have to search out. You won't be smacked in the face by it." This is interesting because Instagram and Facebook and Twitter whole. Models of addictiveness are built on the unpredictability of whether someone will like your stuff or not. The rush of dopamine you get when you post, will people like it, won't they? It's a kind of gambling. And if they hide that, it's interesting to know whether people will be coming back for more in the same way. I think it's great because I think it might really reduce the addictive appeal of these technologies, which I think is probably a good thing. But um, whether it will have the necessary effects on self-esteem will also be interesting to see, John. But that is paired with the other seismic development of this week in social media, which is that Facebook has introduced a new feature called Secret Crush, which works <laughs> and, a and bit... And you, you need the crush. It works a little bit like Tinder, I suppose, in that... You select up to nine Facebook friends on whom, I mean, that's an enormous amount if you ask me, but anyway, nine Facebook friends on whom you have a secret crush. And then your crush is also allowed to select nine people. And if you both have a crush on each other, you both get notified. And who knows? It could be the beginning of a beautiful romance. Imagine having nine crushes simultaneously. It sounds exhausting. And, and, and there is no risk of the people on whom you have a crush 
who would like to crush you um, of them finding out that you have a crush. If the feeling is not reciprocated, they will never be notified of your identity. It will simply sit in your own little, I don't know, notification. But talk Um, about the ego deficit. I mean, if if you're getting no likes for your Instagram posts, and if the people on whom you confess a secret crush to Facebook don't have a secret crush back on you, wow! You can console yourself with perhaps they're not on Facebook, perhaps they haven't signed up. You know, you can, there is a certain level of convincing you can do or um, you can play monopoly with your family or you can play monopoly now john what do you think about monopoly the board game haven't played it for a while but it was it was um, a battle site <laughs> this is what i don't get monopoly continues to hold this kind of unrivaled position as the pinnacle of board games and actually as i was reminded this weekend it is so bad john it's rubbish it is rubbish and it the co- only time my brother won playing monopoly was when he was the bank wonder why exactly. says somebody exactly <laughs> no well somebody sake. do i have news for you hasbro in fact last year the year before brought out a special cheaters edition of monopoly because they had discovered that over half the players were cheating during Monopoly, so they decided they might as well work it into a certain edition anyway. But how ca- how can you cheat at Monopoly? Very easily. By being the bank and giving yeah. out too little money, helping yourself to money and so forth. You can also yeah, cheat. Yeah, but I mean, that, that really, then you're playing with, Fire. then you're playing with Bo Peep. <laughs> because uh, whenever we played, the, the level of scrutiny on the bank and the banker and was very other. high level. This it reminded me of MI5 at its most efficient. But this is my point, John. Does that sound fun to you? A game in which you just sit around staring at each other's paper money in order to make sure nobody is stealing from you. I mean, that's life for a start. Why do we have to do this anymore? Anyway, I was playing it this weekend and I was reminded how awful it is and also how boring it is and how it causes families to turn on each other or friends within minutes of playing because it is the worst. And I was wondering... If other people feel the way they do the same way they do, it's been reviewed fifteen thousand times on a particular board game website, and its average ranking is actually four out of ten. And the reason is that it's very poorly designed, and this is a fact. It is repetitive. It is there is no strategy involved beyond that whole thing of should you buy all the utilities, or they can be right nice little money spent. I want the stations. the stations. I made lots of money out of the stations. Right. Everyone has that strategy. John. And I, mean, I never, I never turned down Old Kent Road. You know, put a couple of hotels. Doesn't cost the you Browns, much. You know, the, the Browns. Browns just I'm a big fan of the Browns. These are not actually strategies, John. Everyone <laughs> plays like this. Every single person does. So there's no there's no skill to it really. It's just where you land. It's very repetitive and it goes on too long it really goes on too long the average length of game monopoly is about four hours it is plodding it is tedious and it is argument inducing and the other weird thing about monopoly is that it has this effect on you whereby you forget that is the greatest trick monopoly plays on you you forget just how bad it is in between games of monopoly but as someone who has recently played it let me remind the world monopoly is a Terrible, terrible, conflict-inducing game, and we must avoid it. So what would you not want to avoid? Dion says the, the risk is even more cutthroat. Is there a board game to which you would happily 30 ret- seconds. I love 30 seconds. Good fun for all the family. Not nearly is there's something in the DNA of Monopoly that encourages arrows, greed, cheating, and unpleasantness. Uh, and that is, I think, because it was designed as a game to expose the absurdity and cutthroatness of the capitalist system called the landlord's game. It was supposed to be a kind of parody. And instead, people were like, all oh, right, so we have to you know, screw everyone over and get to the top. And that's how you win. 
Well, the joke's on us, John. The joke Somebody is on us. Somebody says in a WhatsApp, my secret crushes are always painfully one-sided and unrequited. Oh, how sad is that? And Elliot, you say to me, on hiding Instagram likes, I find it odd that when I was growing up, no one wanted to read their personal entries in their diary. Now people need therapy if no one reads their personal entries <laughs> on social media. Touché. Thank you, Rebecca. She'll be back on Monday at 25. Five to talk about another major issue and what the political parties say about it in their manifestos.